G'day all, and welcome back to episode three of the Benalla All Blacks Premiership podcast series. This episode, we look at the history-making double when the Mighty Blacks took out both senior and reserve grade grand finals for the first time in the Tungamar Football League in 1981. A huge thanks to Benalla Rural City Council, Benalla All Blacks Football and Netball Club and its past players for making this episode possible. Let it rip, Robbie. It was a pretty special time because, I don't know how to put this, I'm probably, I see the world a little bit different and I, I may have had a bit of an indifferent upbringing to most guys. So I found the All Blacks Football Club incredibly welcoming, incredibly non-judgmental. And I've had a few issues in my life and even as a young kid and probably why I never played, well, I'm not saying I would have played league football, but I knew I could never go down there because mentally I just didn't have it. There were some guys on the committee, Mark Stone, became just a huge influence and I just remember the Sunday I was probably more wrapped for them because all I loved about the All Blacks I felt like I'd found a family and I just loved the people there uh, they never judged me they offered help when I needed it I had a few issues and um, they just let me be me I just felt so at home in that club it was just what Mark Stone I believe what Mark Stone and the committee built because I don't believe it was one person. It was just, I don't know, I, I, I can't really put it into words. It was my first time that I felt like I belonged somewhere. I just felt like I belonged there. And I don't really have much of that in my life even now. I sometimes struggle with that. Yep. Whereas at All Blacks under the years of Mark Stone, I just felt like that's where I should be and this is where I belong. And they made me feel like that too. And not just Mark Stone, several others too. The committee were ex-players that were champion people and I can reel them off. Mick Shields, you know, Rexy Dusha, Kenny Levy. I'll never forget them. Just never forget these people. Yes, it's nice to win a grand final. I was a kid and you probably think maybe you're going to get more because I was only young, but the final was actually secondary to me. I do remember sitting back on the Sunday and I was just wrapped for these people. To them, it meant so much more. To me, I was just happy to be a part of these people's lives that allowed me into their life and looked up, as opposed to picking up the Premiership Cup, if you know what I mean. G'day all and welcome back to our third episode of a look back at the Benalla All Blacks golden era in the 60s, 70s and 80s. The voice you heard in the opener was 1981 Best and Ferris winner, a then 17-year-old Pat Conlon who, along with his teammates, experienced the highs and lows throughout the season. And then, when under the pump, they dug deep and found that famous all-black spirit to lift the 1981 Premiership under Mark Stone. I hope you enjoy Vanilla All Blacks 1981, written in stone, backs to the wall. Since joining the Tungamar League in 1978, the All Blacks had not tasted senior finals action, just missing out in 1980. Mark Stone was reappointed for his third year as coach, and one of his biggest recruiting targets was his friend for many years, John Virtue, who was appointed assistant coach. As Virtue explains, Stone had a plan and executed it superbly. I knew Stoney, and um, Stoney, Bill Haynes, who was the other selector and coach of the reserves and um, Kenny Levy, president of the club, they come around to, to my house and um, made me an offer. To, they told me what their plans, what plans were and um, I was very happy with that. As a, as a coach, he was unflappable. He had a mission. He wanted to 
get a bunch of young blokes and people who were keen to play with the blacks together and educate them into being, you know, friends off the field as well, like in their in their own lives. Like if we're up the street and someone was in a bit of trouble, we'd look after each other, have their back. He, he taught us to be, you know, outside of the club. We were still all friends and we're, we're there for a reason to look after each other and um, get the best out of each other. And that's probably why the seconds had success as well, because it was done in a good way. It was competitively in the right spirit. It wasn't anyone, no one wished that someone wasn't there. It was like to bring the best out of each other. That's what I felt. Four-time Premiership player and life member, Ken Levy was re-elected president for his second term. And he, along with Virtue, attracted former players back to the club and some handy recruits, including Clive Snowy Hood, an Indigenous lad who was superbly skilled and very relaxed about life, as coach Mark Stone explains. I actually employed him at the vet lab. Uh, that was a, a, a bit of a, a key to then him having some loyalty to me because I got him a job at the vet lab. A bit, bit hard to do in this day and age. Uh, this Society, but uh, um, he and I became good friends both uh, at work and um, uh, and at the football club. We worked outdoors. He, he was part of the gardening team at the vet lab, the maintenance team, and uh, uh, he used to like getting on the rider mower and whizzing around. It was like a like a new toy for him. <laughs> Did he have any accidents on the rider mower? Uh, no, but one one day I went for a bit of a wander. I was working in the office. I went for a wander outside, and the mower was sitting there and. And uh, I couldn't see him anywhere, and he was uh, happened to be out behind a bush, just having a bit of a spell. So uh, it was uh, it was a bit of a bit of a larrikin. They would, however, be missing centre half forward Graham King, who had ruptured an ACL midway through 1980, and would be in a race against time all pre-season and season to get back. King would, in later years, be president of the club he now calls home, and this is how he ended up at the All Blacks. My wife Karen and I, we moved to Benalla in 1978 in the old State Bank of Victoria. When we got there, we couldn't find a place to live, so we had to live in the caravan park in the caravan. So, so that was early in the summer. Um, I'd played football back up home where we came from, so I was keen to keep playing. At that stage, Mark Stone had been appointed coach of the All Blacks, and he uh, he came round and visited us at the caravan park. and. Um, asked us whether I'd be interested in playing. So cut a long story short, but anyway, they took me down to the pub. I, at that stage, I didn't drink much. Uh, young fellow, I wasn't a drinker. Anyway, they took me down to the Vic Hotel and got me as full as a sausage roll. But that, that was my introduction introduction to the All Blacks Speed Club. Uh, when I got home about 3 o'clock that morning into the caravan, the good wife said, you're not playing for those blokes, you'll end up an alcoholic. So it's sort of funny how things turned out. Round one commenced April 11th with the All Blacks winning a high scoring encounter against Mulwala, 1918-132 to 1611-107. With John Virtue starring in his debut game with seven goals. Frank Noonan four and best of field Paddy Conlon three goals. Jeff Patterson and Snowy Hood were other standouts. The All Blacks rocketed to top position when they thumped Dukie United in round two, 22-17 to four goals 13. There were plenty of goal kickers with John Virtue four and best on ground Chris Lowen three. Tough defenders Wayne Poole, Graham Truella and Ian Saunders were rock solid. 
A bye was held the following week for Anzac Day. And the following day, the Tungamar Football League played the Riddell Football League at Broadford in a qualifying game to play Bendigo in the Victorian Country Championships. The Riddell side powered away in the final term to win by 22 points. Another high-scoring encounter unfolded in the next round, with the All Blacks at home beating Kungupna 21-12-138 to 17-14-116. Brian Murray starred for the Blacks, along with Wayne Poole, John Virtue and Frank Noonan. They both kicked five goals. A tough and bruising encounter before a large crowd at Katandra saw the All Blacks remain the only unbeaten side after four rounds, winning 10 goals 19 to 10 goals 9. Jeff Patterson, Snowy Hood, Ian Saunders and Pat Conlon got the Blacks home in a real crowd pleaser. In front of a massive home crowd, Mansfield looked set for an upset win when they led the Blacks throughout the first half in one of the best games of club football seen for some time, as 37 goals were kicked for the round five encounter. It was a young gun called Brad Chooker Frantum who turned the game for the All Blacks, kicking nine goals for the game, including seven in the second half. Mark Stone kicked four as the All Blacks' nine-goal final term got them home, 20 goals, 13, 133, to 17-14-116. Dave Weston, Wayne Poole and Ian Saunders were other excellent performers. So with five wins from five games and top of the table, the scene was set for a massive home game in round six against defending premiers Shepherd and East, who were in fifth place with three wins. A huge home crowd at the Friendlies Oval witnessed an All Blacks masterclass as they hammered the visitors by 73 points. Johnny Brunner was outstanding, winning over 30 possessions and booting three goals, while Chooker Frampton kicked four, with Neil Gillen and Frank Noonan landing three each. Dave Weston dominated the ruck and Pat Conlon the midfield as the Blacks made it six from six. Round seven was another huge challenge for the All Blacks, travelling to an informed Tungamar who were in second place with six straight wins after losing in round one. The All Blacks made it seven from seven with a 29-point victory, 17-7 to 12 goals eight, with Greg Smokey Dawson best on ground, along with Johnny Brunner, Pat Conlon and Brian Murray. John Virtue and Brad Frampton both kicked four goals each, leaving the All Blacks two games and a very healthy percentage clear on top of the ladder. Dawson, who ran the Victoria Hotel, along with other family members of his wife, Pam, got a look at his teammates both on and off the field, including the lovable Snowy Hood. The family moved to Bedella in uh, 1978 uh, with my wife, Pam, and her sister, Diane, and brother, Ronnie, and their partners, Bob and Mandy. We purchased the Victoria Hotel and we bought the pub off a bloke called Jeff Bridgeford, who uh, was on the All Blacks committee at the time, and he made it pretty clear that the Blacks supported the hotel, and in return, the hotel supported the club, and we were pretty happy to keep that arrangement going. I was only in my mid-20s at the time, probably juggling two roles, uh, one which was looking after the interests of the hotel and the other was uh, trying to be one of the lads. So uh, anyway, the boy, the boys would come back to the hotel after Thursday nights. Once the, the pub closed at 10 o'clock, 
they'd buy a few cans of beer and they'd continue out in the car park under the old peppercorn tree. If the boys kicked on too late, Pam's older sister, Diane, would yell out from upstairs and tell them all to get home to their wives. <laughs> Pam and I actually got married up in Benalla in 1980. I'm pretty sure I had my bucks party under that peppercorn tree. <laughs> Like a lot of characters in the side door, so obviously one that you saw a bit of and tell us about was um, Snowy Hood. Snowy, bless his heart. We all know that there's plenty of beer consumed after a game of football, but I reckon if Snowy had his way, he would have had one at half time as well. <laughs> he could play footy and drink at the same speed, and that was flat out. I can recall him coming into the hotel on his way to a game, and he'd order a pot of beer and a cream de monte chaser. You'd take a gulp of the beer and then tip the cream de monte into the pot, wait for it to float to the bottom, then scull the rest, and off he'd go to the game. He loved his beer, but, geez, he could play footy. Tell us about the players even had an effect on the, the menu board at the Vic. The, the club would come in back to the pub after each game for drinks and meals. The girls in the kitchen would be kept flat out with orders. In 1981, one of the Truella boys, Graham, uh, whose nickname was Gorb. Anyway, Gorb was playing senior footy. He would come in and order a steak sandwich with egg, bacon and cheese, no salad. Uh, We would then have to send the order through to the kitchen via an intercom system. Well, it didn't take long before all these mates started to get in on the act and it became a little bit monotonous ordering this uh, steak sandwich with egg, bacon and cheese, no salad. So the girls decided to place it on the menu and they called it the Gorb Special. It didn't sound very appetising, but it was certainly very popular. As they say in the classics, all good things come to an end. And that is what happened in round eight when Inver Gordon stunned the All Blacks on their home turf, winning by nine points despite having 11 less scoring shots. The Blacks literally kicked themselves out of the game, converting just 12 goals from 35 scoring shots, 12-23 to 16-8. Johnny Brunner continued his great form while Ian Saunders, Graham Truella and Dave Weston were other good performers. The latter now had five teams, all equal on five wins from second to sixth. Round nine produced another shock loss for the Blacks when seventh place Katamatite hung on for a two-point win at Katamatite, leaving just two games between first and seventh on the ladder. Jeff Patterson, Trevor Piltz, Graham Truella and Ian Saunders were the best in a poor performance. Assistant coach John Virtue, who booted four goals, was reported in the second term for charging a catamatite opponent. Virtue was later cleared of the charge. So at the halfway mark of the season, the All Blacks were still on top of the ladder, second in the reserves, fourth in the thirds and eighth in the fourths. The All Blacks were leading the club championship as the wet winter of 1981 started to kick in. A comfortable win over Mulwala in round 10 started the second half of the season. Despite heavy conditions and a lacklustre first half, All Blacks had a comfortable 12 goals 21-91 to 2-4-16 win over Dukey United, who had lost 11 games in a row. The star performer was young gun Johnny Brunner, 
who would go on to have one of the finest careers in country football, winning multiple premierships and league best and fairest awards in a 450-plus senior game career that lasted almost three decades. Assistant coach spoke about Brunner and his year of development at the Blacks. Probably a candidate at that time, he had all the skills, but you didn't know what you were going to get with Johnny. Um, he was bordering on being um, in the Brat Pack, I guess. Johnny liked the wildlife in a, in a way, and um, I think as the year progressed and he started um, showing his skills, like his, his older brother, Anton Butsy, he was um, a great store for the club as well. He'd support, and Butsy had a lot of ability, um, and I think Johnny kind of wanted to be a bit like that as well as not only being successful as a player, he enjoyed seeing the older blokes being out there a bit longer than normal, having a kick or, you know, not racing to get inside and get home or anything like that. It was still a lot of interaction even when training had finished. And speaking to Butz, um, Johnny, he, he got a lot out of that. He reckons that he kind of forged his... Um, future, his career, on that, um, on what he'd seen, and he said he played a big part in money. spoke to him last night, Johnny, and I hadn't spoken to him for probably 40 years. It was just like, the, it was like yesterday. It was really, really nice, and I got, because Butsy and I, his older brother, shared a house together in those years. Johnny was a bit young, he wasn't, you know, he was probably about 17 when he played seniors. So he was still experimenting with life and trying to get the balance right of, you know, um, getting to bed early or do we want to ride motorbikes or hot up cars or do we want to commit to football? And I'm glad he committed to football because, like you say, his he's, um, career has been second to none in what he's achieved. But a mighty fella. A scrappy encounter was next up with the All Blacks winning at home six goals five to four goals eight against Mansfield in cold, wintry conditions at the Friendlies Oval. John Virtue kicked half the Blacks' goals to hit the lead in the leading goal kicker with 44, while Johnny Brunner, Ian Saunders and Wayne Poole revelled in the heavy going as the Blacks remained two games clear, top of the table. A tough road trip to Kangupna was expected and that's exactly how it panned out, with the Blacks suffering its third loss of the season, going down by 28 points. Once again, too much was left at too few, with the informed trio of Johnny Brunner, Wayne Poole and Ian Saunders the best. Coach Mark Stone kicked two of the miserly five goals. 1976 Premiership coach John Rush was reported in the seconds for striking. Round 14 saw the Blacks bounce back with a victory over Katandra, with Chooker Frampton and Graham King on fire up forward, while John Brunner was again a standout in the midfield as the Blacks remained top of the table with four rounds remaining. For King, it was his return to the seniors from a knee reconstruction the previous year. Did you think at some point you might not get back? Because obviously you knew that it was going to be the first time they'd play finals. It must be a pretty exciting time at the club. Yeah, it was. Like, uh, even though they dropped those few games later, I think the feeling was there that we could get into get into the finals and, and have, yeah, be a chance to to do well so from my point of view it was sort of a bit of incentive to keep pushing pretty hard i'm looking it was it was pure luck i got back in time um the knee came good enough to be able to 
play in the twos and then have three or four games before the finals started. So, yeah, that would, but again, there was a fair bit of luck involved with that. With injuries, you just never know. An away game to Shep East pitted the Blacks against the second-placed and informed defending Premiers, who had only lost once since round six. Their great form continued, trouncing the All Blacks 11 goals 7 to 5 goals 10 and moved level on top with the Blacks. Wayne Poole, Pat Conlon, Brian Murray and Ian Saunders were the best for the Blacks, who were a shadow of the team that had won seven straight games to start the season. Another loss in round 16 had the Blacks drop to third position and lose top position that it had held since round two. The two-point loss at home cast further doubt on the All Blacks' credentials as a genuine flag contender. Wayne Poole, Brian Murray, Greg Dawson and Dave Weston stood out for the Blacks ahead of another tough encounter against second place in Vergordon. Well, tough it was when the Blacks copped its biggest defeat of the season, being humiliated by the home side. It was the sixth loss in the last 10 games for the Blacks as a double chance in finals was in serious doubt with one round remaining. Cam McPherson was best along with the reliable trio of Wayne Poole, Greg Dawson and Ian Saunders. Coach Mark Stone reflected back on the form slump and the Invergordon result. It was a pretty tough winter. You know, they were cold, wet, dark nights and it helped us build our fitness. We put a bit more aggression and uh, body contact into the training regimes. We had a bit of a light training regime over the summer leading into the full training season. And I think that just the guys, their condition was just that little bit better because they maintained a, a, bit, of, a bit of presence over the summer period. So I think all of those things and wanting to get out of the, the, the slush and the cold and the wet and get into the hot showers um, motivated them to work that bit harder and uh, no, I got got them off the track early, whereas um, if I thought they were having a bit of a lazy night, I'd make them uh, stay out there a bit longer. So it was a motivation for them to uh, build their fitness and also uh, to get out of the wet and cold. Round 17 and played in the Gordon, and they absolutely thrashed the All Blacks 10-15 to two goals won on the penultimate game of the home and away. What were your thoughts post-match in that game, mate, and how do you go about turning that around ahead of what was a big round 18 game that you had to win to get the double chance? Pretty damning when the, the opposition kicked 25 scoring shots to your three. It was a wake-up call at that time of the year or that time of the season. The, the team had enormous talent, and occasionally we'd go out there and we'd probably play a bit more as individuals and, and use our own individual skills and less so of one of those games where where we, we needed to harness the talent as a team, not as individuals. The boys knew that, and to their credit, they responded well from there on in. That was that was the real wake-up call that um, that obviously carried us through to the to the grand final and, and then the ultimate success. And I believe the other thing too, Stoney, was that the ground, the friendlies, the home ground of the All Blacks was in pretty poor condition by late in the season. In fact, the, the round 18 match got moved out to Devonish to play on. But how do you go, you know, training with such a heavy ground? Yeah, it was a matter of picking the, picking the good bits or the good spots. And, and, and as I mentioned earlier, though, you know, it was a, a long, cold, wet winter. They were, they were used to having to uh, go home and put the, put the training gear into the, into the washing machine straight away. And uh, that 
not only um, worked in our, our favour from a fitness point of view, uh, but uh, they, they knew it could only, the, the, the game, their game could only get better as the grounds got better. Assistant coach John Virtue had another angle on the form slump. Yeah, it was an old Nina. I think it was very wet, miserable, boggy, cold. The grounds were muddy, but um, most people would say that was the reason. But a few would say too that uh, Smokey went to Bali with Pammy and uh, it was the only time he could take holidays. And we're all thinking of him over there in the sunshine, swimming in the spa, in the pools and relaxing in the spa, having cocktails and beers. And yes, I think we all... God, I wish we always not to smoke. Yes. The scenario was simple ahead of the final game at home to Katamatite. Victory would assure third place and the double chance in the top five. Lose and they drop into the elimination final. An improvement in the weather and ground conditions replicated the Blacks' form when they held on for a gritty 12 goals 11 to 10 goals 12 victory over Katamatite. Snowy Hood made a return to form, and along with Ruckman Dave Weston, were best for the Blacks. Johnny Virtue kicked four goals to finish third with 50 goals in the leading goal kicker. Just three behind winner Kevin Curlin from Dukie United. Both top teams Shep East and second place Inver Gordon lost their final round matches. Tungamar and Mansfield finished fourth and fifth to round out the finals teams. PJ Cooper from Tungamar won the Lordless Trophy for the league's best and fairest player. David Guppy from the All Blacks took out the second's best and fairest on a count back from two other players. The All Blacks reserves finished in second position. The qualifying final venue was Mulwala for the All Blacks' first ever senior finals appearance since joining the league. The opponent was Inver Gordon, who only two weeks previous had belted the Blacks by over 10 goals. In a tight contest throughout, Inver Gordon looked like they were heading for victory when they led by 16 points during the third quarter. A big lift led by Wayne Poole, Snowy Hood, Brian Murray, Ian Saunders and Tony Johnson, along with four crucial John Virtue goals, got the Blacks home by just two points, 12 goals 14 to 12 goals 12. To make it a great day for the club, the reserves beat Shep East by 44 points to elevate both teams into next week's second semi-final and a grand final spot on offer at Katandra. Tungamar eliminated Mansfield by 24 points in the elimination final. Second semi-final day started in great fashion with the reserve grade side qualifying for the grand final with an upset win over minor premiers Mansfield 15 goals 8 to 14 goals 3. Chooker Frampton dropped from the seniors responded with 6 goals including 5 in the second term. The winning mood disappeared quickly when Shep East showed why they were the defending premiers and a firm favourite to go back to back outplaying the All Blacks 14 goals 17 101 to 8 16 64. John Brunner, Greg Dawson, Tony Johnson and Snowy Hood were the best. Johnny Virtue kicked three goals and Neil Gillen two. Four goals in a row in the third quarter gave some hope, but in general, not enough contributors resulted in a very disappointing loss. This meant another stouse with Inver Gordon in the preliminary final after they defeated Tungamar by five points in a thrilling first semi-final. A huge crowd converged at the Dookie football ground 
for a thrilling and action-packed preliminary final that watched the All Blacks storm home for a stunning eight-point win after looking gone for all money at three-quarter time. Inver Gordon had broken clear in the third quarter to take a 20-point lead into the final term. The grand final dream looked over, but in front of a large crowd and a raucous one at that, the famous fighting All Black spirit was sparked in a brilliant final term, with the forward line coming to life and the midfield running right. Greg Dawson and Johnny Brunner were in everything, while Ian Saunders and Brian Murray spurred the team on with a ruthless physical brand of football. Key forwards Mark Stone and John Virtue landed three goals each as the Blacks won by eight points, 14-11 to 12 goals 15, and for the first time in the club's history had both first and seconds into a grand final on the same day. Graham King recalls the wonderful comeback. It was an interesting game. Like We, we started off pretty well and then we sort of seemed to fall in a big heap. Uh, second and third quarters weren't too flash at all. We had a bit of self-discipline, a few issues, I think. From memory, we gave away a couple of 50-metre penalties and they kicked goals from them and they got a fair break on us. And I, I, I do remember when we came in at three-quarter time, um, although we were 20 points down, which is a fair margin in a in a final, there was still a reasonable amount of optimism and Stoney, to his credit, he, he just sort of took the positive side of it that, listen, we've got, we've got nothing to lose now. <laughs> we can't save the game, so to speak. We've, just, we've got to win it. And it was just all out attack, play on. Everything was going to be go forward. And we did kick one goal, like, really quickly at the start of the last quarter. Um, and it just sort of started to flow from there. It was peculiar how it changed. But yeah, everyone just got on the bike, so to speak, and away we went. Grand final day arrived with a massive crowd converging at Kangupna. The seconds match was nothing short of sensational, with the game going to extra time before the All Blacks forward, Jeff Jordan, kicked the winning goal late in extra time to give the Blacks their first ever reserve grade flag. Brian Murray had the job of driving Snowy Hood to most matches during the year and explains the tradition Snowy adopted for away games and was changed for the grand final trip to Kangupna. Snowy was a really colourful character and being a young bloke in the club and I had a car and I was single, so um, Snowy could, didn't drive and he didn't have a car, so I used to pick him up and run him around a bit. Being the guy that he was, we all knew he, he liked to have a beer before the game and so we quite often just call past the bottle shop and get a couple of stubbies and snow he'd be uh, slurping on them on the way to the games yeah Mars, what about uh, he thought it might be an idea he might for a grand final I think you know maybe not have his normal routine tell us how that unfolded yeah well, that was a, a big day we had a team meeting before we left Manila and um, so after the team meeting we, I'm going past the Vic Hotel and I said to want to call in he said no I'm going to do the right thing today he was adamant he wasn't going to have anything and so it was an hour's drive to Ngupna halfway across he could not sit in the seat he was he was like a worm he 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 was anxious he was um the nerves were starting to get to him so I got to the ground pulled up and anyway my old man was there and he come across and said oh how's he going I said he's no good I said he's a he's a bloody nervous wreck so the old man went and had a yarn to him and uh, Snowy told him he went and got him half a dozen 
before, while the seconds was going on, he's sort of kneeled down in between the cars and he's knocking off a, a couple of stubbies before the game. But he honestly could not sit in the seat. He was that nervous and um, obviously that's what it used to get to him a bit and he just needed a bit of Dutch courage, I suppose. In a torrid opening, the All Blacks kicked two of the first three goals before Shep East hit back with five of the next six goals to lead at quarter time by 22 points. Two minutes into the second quarter, the All Blacks were left stunned with the loss of coach Mark Stone to a late hit. Stone recalls the incident. Yeah, I've got uh, pretty vivid memories. And the first one was I, I got a free kick and, and, and I stood up and I, I sort of held the ball and, and then I fell over and I got up again and went to have a kick and, and fell over again. And it was that point they, they realised I wasn't going to be able to do it. There was something sharp in my mouth and I was a bit pissed off because I thought, oh, I've broken a tooth. Um, it turned out it was a piece of my jaw uh, because my jaw had broken in... Um, Three places. I've still got the six bits of wire holding it together as we as we speak now. Uh, I, I tried to talk uh, and I couldn't talk because because my door, jaw was um, actually broken um, uh, completely. I, I couldn't I wouldn't work up and down. So when I got to the bench and I was waiting for the ambulance, I wrote a note uh, for the halftime uh, dress and I talked about how. Um, uh, the All Blacks were at their best when our backs were up against the wall. And um, I'd, I'd gone by then. I, the ambulance had whisked me away, but I understand it was a pretty emotional period for the team. And um, uh, to the credit, they, they stepped up and um, and the rest is history. The guy who got you, got Johnny O'Donnell. Did you ever cross paths again later in next following seasons? I'm, I'm not sure it was deliberate. And uh, as many would know, uh, when you were away, a pass from Dave Weston uh, it was like waiting and standing at the station waiting for a late train. You were standing there feeling like it was uh, you were there forever, and uh, I think that um, that's probably uh, if, if you played the the scene in slow motion, you'd probably say I'm standing there looking up into the heavens, and O'Donnell sort of he couldn't go anywhere else except into me because uh, I, I was uh, I was a, a sitting duck. With Neil Gillen already off the ground with broken ribs, it was back to the wall. And it was then that the spirit of the All Blacks and assistant coach John Virtue came to the fore. Virtue tore the Bombers' defence apart, kicking four second quarter goals to have in six in total by half time. The Blacks added six goals to one to take a 10 point lead into half time. A highlight was a 60 metre goal from Snowy Hood. During the second quarter, Brian Murray seized on an opportunity to square the ledger. Well, I just happened to be, you know, probably within 10 or 15 feet of where Stoney got cleaned up. And I was, I had a front on view and Stoney had gone for the mark and this guy brushed through and bangs down Stoney went. No one would have known the extent of what had happened until Stoney um, got up and tried to take the kick and it, he's, it ended up his jaw was shattered. So um, off he went. The game went on and from my memory, it was probably only 10 minutes later, there was an opportunity came up where there was one of those kicks that went straight up in the air. The guy was coming the other way and I was going towards him and as I, as I sort of lifted up the arms to tack the footy, I also collected him 
broke his nose, so off he went. <laughs> so um, it was just, a, I suppose, a lucky opportunity and I took it at the time. <laughs> you got, the bloke's got to do what a bloke's got to do, Muzz. Yeah, well, you know, grand final, we're all fired up. Everyone's going pretty hard at it, so... Um, and, you know, we all had each other's back in those days. You, you, you really looked up to your coach and you didn't want anyone to take advantage of anyone else. So <laughs> it's a matter of standing up for your mates. The third quarter was finals pressure at its best, with Shep East kicking the first three goals to take an eight-point lead after ten minutes. Led by Virtue and Graham King, the Blacks started to take control and kick four of the next five goals to go into the final change with a five-point lead. When acting captain and inspirational leader John Virtue snapped his eighth goal to start the quarter, the All Blacks turned on a brilliant quarter, adding seven goals to one to run away with the Premiership by 43 points. Mark Stone spoke about Virtue and his presence in the team. An outstanding individual. He could have uh, stayed where he was and not come across to us, but he had, um, I, I think he saw the potential uh, that, that we were offering, and, and I think he saw the part he could play as a role model in a, in a young team. People like um, uh, Johnny Brunner and uh, Paddy Conlon and so on, they, they looked up to him as a strength within the team, nurtured there and encouraged them, and that role model um, is something that uh, not everyone could carry out, but that I think was a part of his DNA and part of his value, not just as a good footballer, uh, but someone that was part of that All Blacks family. Graham King added two more goals to make it five for the game, while in the middle, the rugged and brilliant Frankie Bott continually pounded the ball forward. Snowy Hood overcame his pre-game nerves and had the ball on a string, and down back, Ian Saunders turned back attack after attack. The King and Virtue combination, which produced 13 goals for the game, had a master plan attached to it, as Graham King explains. So I lined up at centre-half forward. Flurry was obviously our key man at, at full forward. He was the gun. If we could get if we could get it to him enough times, he was going to kick a bag, and, and that's the way it turned out. He could get it down there enough. He was... He was too good for most of the defenders when he was on his day. Interestingly enough, um, Flurry said to me before the, the game, we tried it at Invergordon, but that much of it didn't sort of seem to work that well. He said, every time one of us kick a goal, we'll rotate position. If I kicked a goal, then for the next three or four minutes or five minutes, I just went to full forward and he went out to centre-half forward. And vice versa, if he kicked one, we just swapped over. Um, I'm not saying it had anything to do with the winning the game, but it did cause a little bit of confusion at times with the backmen. They weren't just too sure where people were going. Um, but, yeah, Flurry just did that off his bat. It was uh, just a little by-play in a final. I, I'd have to thank Smokey Dawson. He gave me my first kick, I think, in the final at Kangapna. He passed it out, and I was lucky enough to be able to get a goal early in the game. So I'll forever remember Smokey kindly for doing that. <laughs> I, I remember the start of the game massively because I was at centre half forward, so on the on the the square there, and uh, our big ruckman, Crazy Dave Weston, and he was aptly named Crazy. <laughs> uh, he just looked at uh, Gil Martin, who was the opposition ruckman, and he he did that Crackers Keen thing, and he just pointed at him and said, "You're gone. 
and he, he just ran straight through him. It was unbelievable. And I thought to myself, oh, it's on. <laughs> John Virtue explained the feeling pre-game, the determination to get the job done, and how he benefited from the great play by his teammates. Even just to expect a, a game where there's extra time before us, it was um, like anything could have happened, and that's what put us in the mindset that anything could have happened on our day. So it was up to us to kind of create those opportunities. And, um, yeah, I kind of remember it was a bit of a blur but we were all on a high, and especially winning the reserves, and we wanted to cap it off by um, doing the double. I think that we knew that we could adapt to whatever was dished out to us. I think um, waiting to see what was going to happen, play with the deck of cards that were dealt to us, and um, they, they felt comfortable in their roles. But uh, when Stoney went down, I think that was when everyone thought that, you know, we're not going to lose this. We don't want to lose this. I, I remember addressing the team at, at half time. I, I think Billy Haynes was a bit emotional. He couldn't really carry on and they, they argued. And I didn't have to say much. I said, you know what Stoney wanted us to do and um, we'll just go about doing that. And that's all, all that was said, really. Stoney was always thinking about the team regardless of his own welfare. And um, that's the way he played as well. He always put his body on the line. He went in hard. Uh, he never shirked. He set, set the examples for the younger boys. We had a lot of younger players in the team and um, he was measured by his actions and... Um, Certainly didn't let the team down. All the boys took the positives, knew their abilities, um, had played some great football over the, the year. Um, once they clicked, then it was just a matter of time before getting it right. And like, like kicking those goals in the second quarter, we, we kind of felt like we're comfortable. I don't think there was anyone panicking at half time, really. They all knew what they had to do and um, wanted to get out there and do it. Being given the opportunities, the ball had to come from somewhere and it was our players like Frankie Bott and Dave Weston driving it out of the centre, even from the back line, and Saunders, that pinpoint passing. I mean, you just had to put yourself in the right position and you no worries, you'd, they'd, they'd hit you with the lace out, actually. You had to finish it off. And uh, like I said, we all felt we could rise to the occasion. Nothing was going to stop us. We weren't going to look down at and go, this is hard. It was more like this is easy. After absorbing all the pressure of a grand final in a frenetic first half, the Blacks' fitness and will to win had them kick 10 of the last 11 goals as a double premiership celebration kicked into gear on a historic day for the Benalla All Blacks. So with the coach in hospital, just how did he find out the final score and result? Yeah, it was um, uh, pretty damn obvious uh, on the day, and that is because the whole team turned up at the Golden Belly Base Hospital. I was being prepped for surgery, um, and uh, next minute there's this, this noise sort of emanating from down the corridors, and it sounded like it was a riot going on. Uh, as it turned out, the, the whole team turned up and caused chaos for the nursing staff. And uh, um, the, that's about, about the last I remember before they uh, put a, a needle in my arm and I went into surgery. Benalla Council had a civic reception for the team um, and I signed myself out of hospital so I could uh, go and turn up and there's a great photo in the, in the paper of uh, 
me standing there with a bandage around my head and drinking a beer out of a straw. So uh, it, um, again, just um, uh, highlights the, the strength of the character of the, of the guys and the, and the bond that was formed through that uh, through that period. I think it, it culminated in the, both the experience and the, the youth within the team with players like Johnny Brunner and Pat Conlon coming in with some pretty um, other experienced players like Frankie Bott and Graham King and John Virtue and so on. There was a real self-belief within the team. So self-belief both in themselves as individuals, uh, but probably more importantly, self-belief in their teammates and knowing that, that they could rely on each other and when things got a bit tough, uh, there was someone there to help out. So I think that self-belief was really critical that particular year. Yeah, I, I, without a doubt, it was the pinnacle of my, my football career. I, that, that premiership was, was definitely the pinnacle. The, the sort of period with that bunch of blokes was, was a, had enormous impact on my future career. The traits that a, a person has in their, in their business career, that striving to be better, uh, team orientation, continually re-evaluating and resetting your goals um, in a work environment just like you do on the on the lead up to a game and then during the game the, the tactical changes which which I still do in, in business and the, and the camaraderie that um, came at it you, know, you, you need to have that flow into into your, your working life because um, uh, without culture and camaraderie uh, no business like no football team is as good as it can be unless you, you practice that and and then finally celebrating success whether it was uh, a good night on the training track a sunday barbecue or um, a bit of a celebration after a game they're, they're they're some of the traits that i've carried into business as well and make sure that that when you do something well uh, you, you bring the team together and you and you thank people and you acknowledge their contribution so a lot in, in in a game of football a lot in um uh, coaching life, but uh, it's, it's carried me through uh, and served me well uh, for many, many years to come. The 1981 Vanilla All Blacks Premiership Team. From the back line, Richie Ryan, Cam McPherson, Brian Murray. Half back line, Wayne Poole, Ian Saunders, Graham Truella. Centre line, Clive Snowy Hood, Frank Bott, Paul Donahue. Half forward line, Pat Conlon, Graham King, Tony Johnson. Forward line, Greg Dawson, John Virtue, Neil Gillen. The Rucks, Dave Weston, Mark Stone, John Brunner. Interchange, Trevor Pilts and Grant Bridgefoot. Well, there you go. What a wonderful moment in the history of the Vanilla All Blacks taking out the first and second grade flags for the first time. A massive thanks to the Benalla Rural City Council, Benalla All Blacks Football and Netball Club and its past players who all contributed to the cost of this timeless and historical moment in the club's history. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll catch you next time on Glory Days. Glory Days.